Welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. This is I Love Basketball, and I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. I am joined once again today by my co-host, Anthony Irwin. Anthony, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm in the basement of a house that used to be a garage, and it has way better acoustics than the office that I usually record in, and I am a lot more than a little jealous. <laughs> it sounded like you were in the middle of telling a horror story at the start of that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's like some demon in the back, but I, I'm thinking they help with the acoustics. They must be a basketball fan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's more more of a hockey fan, New, Jer- New Jersey Devils fan. But, ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm suddenly reminded of Putty from Seinfeld. Oh, it's the best scene ever. <laughs> Devils! <laughs> God, there's so many, like, just impeccable references from that show. Oh, they, they can go on forever. I, we, should, we should someday do, like a, like, a Seinfeld draft. Oh, we should totally do that. Yeah. 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 Maybe when there's actually not basketball. So we have like one more week to go. One more week to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we could find Lakers thematic connections with Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we have, let's see, three weeks until the NBA resumes. Today is the eighth. Yeah. We've got three weeks until the NBA resumes in Orlando. Uh, and this week we learned that Dwight Howard will officially be joining the Lakers in Orlando, which is really very good news. Because oh. we, we need yeah. Dwight Howard. Uh-huh. Um, but I actually... Continue with these sentences that we can't believe we're saying out loud. <laughs> it's such a weird year. It's the weirdest year ever. <laughs> There's a demon sitting, standing in the corner, and that's like the second weirdest thing from the show. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is big news for the Lakers, but I kind of wanted to talk about something a little more historic today because today, July 8th, is the 10-year anniversary of the decision. And it's kind of one of those flashbulb moments in NBA history that, like, I remember exactly what I was doing when I was watching it and who I was with and sort of what was going through my head. And although it wasn't specifically related to the Lakers, LeBron James did make his way to Los Angeles, you know, eight years later. And I think the ramifications of what happened in the decision were sort of felt by every team around the league, you know, including the Lakers pretty shortly afterwards. So mm-hmm. let's just, you know, start with the basics. What do you really remember about that day? And like, what was your initial reaction knowing that LeBron was headed to Miami? Well, so at that time I was coaching, I went back to my high school alma mater mm-hmm. and was coaching basketball and we were in a tournament um we were playing it was like a summer league tournament in palm springs which like if there's one place you should play basketball in the middle of summer yep. it's palm springs <laughs> so uh so th- thankfully though uh we were back at the hotel and i think either getting ready for or just getting back from a game and i was kind of still unpacking i'm kind of anal i don't know how you are i i, I when i get to a hotel Mm-hmm. I like to actually get my clothes out of my suitcase and put them in the uh, like the the nightstand that they usually have there. Mm-hmm. I so, like to hang things uh, right away, but I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same, same. Like all, I just don't want my clothes in my suitcase because then mm-hmm. my suitcase can function as a hamper, basically. Yes. Um. So we we were. Uh, I was I was just finishing up doing that, and I checked my phone, and I remember Stephen A. Smith had the first report mm-hmm. right that lebron james is gonna this was before the decision 
Right. Uh, LeBron James is going to go to Miami and join up with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. And I remember online, everybody was just like, oh, get out of here. Come on, stop. You know, whatever. <laughs> and then, and then lo and behold, you know, you go through that, you go to that uh, press conference and that's actually how it turns out. But I, I do remember getting the notification. It was like, you know, one of, one of the first kind of things that I remember, I think I was on Twitter for mm-hmm. in 2010. I was pretty close. So uh, I, I definitely wasn't on Twitter in the same way that I am now, which is probably, you know, probably for the better back then. And, um, and yeah, Stephen A had that, had that report. And I remember talking to uh, the two coaches, the two varsity head coaches. I was the JV coach there and I, I was an assistant with varsity. And I remember talking to Mark and Craig and we were sitting there and, and Mark was like, Oh, it's never going to work. Who's going to have the ball. And Craig was like, yeah, they're both like high school coaches or, you know, wannabe head coach, uh, <laughs> college coaches. So they're like, Oh, how are you going to run the Princeton with this group? I'm like, guys, I, that's not okay. Whatever. Um, I don't, I don't and, think but, they're worried about running the Princeton offense in Miami. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Somehow I think LeBron James and Dwayne Wade are going to figure it out. Uh, they were the two, arguably the two best players at that time. And, and like I, to, to bring this thing to a close, I, I, I remember the one takeaway that I had was that I was kind of bummed because it looked like we were going to get a LeBron and Wade rivalry. And that was, that was kind of taken away from us by this decision. But, you know, I, I, given the way it turned out and the way that it has kind of molded the league since, I, I think even those complaints have kind of fallen by the wayside. How about you? Where, where, where were you at when all this went down? So I actually was at home watching it on TV. It was a uh, summer vacation when I was in college. So I was with my brother and I remember earlier in the day, you know, getting that Stephen A report that he was going to Miami. And my first thought wasn't like, oh, this is ridiculous. My first thought was, why would he ruin what's about to happen on television? <laughs> like, it was the <laughs> first time that I like really experienced something where like a reporter had deliberately broken the television product, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, this Come happens on, all the time now. Right? We're like, you know, Woj and everybody you know, blows who's going to draft whom before the actual draft happens, even like now that he's actually employed by ESPN, he still blows it. Um, yeah. But I, I just couldn't believe that. I was just like, why, why would you ruin this television special? <laughs> There's, there has to be something amok here. And then I remember thinking like throughout the whole event, just with, oh my God, Jim Gregg like was at his most dull that day, truly. <laughs> there, was, there was just no joy in the building. <laughs> here's this momentum momentous occasion and jim gray is like all right so what's the weather like have you told Um, anyone (laughs) like by the way if you're gonna have like if if doesn't jim gray look and sound like a jim gray oh my god (laughs) we talked about how much i hate the color gray last week (laughs) like it's just it's (laughs) so well he's like if if like old pajamas were made human you would get jim gray Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then LeBron's wearing that like uh the purple checkered shirt right um and he I remember thinking like LeBron was so cool before that and then just watching him sit there for 35 minutes I was like what did I ever see in this guy <laughs> like, this is the dullest thing I've ever watched <laughs> yeah I don't I don't think I watched I think I think I waited I think I turned it on and I saw that they were just kind of taking their time. Mm, okay. So I went away and 
I think uh, walked down the hall because uh, the the coaches had some beer in their in their mm-hmm. room. So I walked down the hall and grabbed a beer, and then you know kind of made my way back and finally caught it at, at kind of the very end. But but yeah, the whole when when you think about it from an from a thirty five minute special. Mm-hmm. The word, it's just like, I'm taking my talents to like, it's like 10 total words that actually matter. Right. <laughs> like I used to think that like college kids were overdone when they would sit there, you know, have all the hats and like make their announcement. But like, those were remarkably efficient affairs compared to what LeBron James put on. <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought I guess the, like, no, go ahead. even there, I guess they had, they, they were like raising uh, money for, mm-hmm. for a good cause and stuff. So. Like at least the the length of it served a bit of a purpose, but but that purpose was lost on me in the moment. Yeah, um, I was also just really really mad that he was going to Miami, because huh. the well, I mean, looking back on it now, I feel very silly for having these opinions, but <laughs> I I loved the idea that he was from Ohio and yeah somehow Cleveland had gotten the number one pick in the draft the year that he was you know drafted and there was this remarkable you know relationship between him and the hometown and uh like you know we we had Kobe right and Kobe had been with the Lakers at this point for 14 years right and we'd mm-hmm. we'd gone through this period where Kobe had demanded a trade and he wanted out and he wasn't happy and then they came to an agreement right like we brought in Pau Gasol and showed Kobe that we were all in and it meant so much more to have him through all of those down years and I just thought that LeBron was sort of ruining this narrative arc by not sticking with Cleveland. Um, of course, I wasn't as you know familiar with the know-how of like everything that goes on in organizations and he's legitimately leaving a terrible franchise. Like, there's no shame in wanting to get as far away from Dan Gilbert as humanly possible. Like, I get <laughs> that now, but yeah. I just thought it was a nice story that he would be with the Cavaliers and figure out how to win there and it just seemed like he was taking, you know, the easy way out by joining with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh because, I mean, like you said, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James were arguably the two best players in the league at that point. They were definitely the two best players in the Eastern Conference. Like, Dwayne Wade had just had this incredible season um, as a solo act in Miami, and it it seemed like it was going to make things very hard for every other team in the league, including the Lakers, um, and we were sort of taking away any of the drama by – this decision which obviously didn't end up being the case (laughs) i don't i don't even think you have to like explain away your thoughts on it i mean to to be quite frank i i I, so it's funny because of the way things have turned out there's a bit of like revisionist history to it right Mm -hmm. and and like while it's been cool to see superstar empowerment you know become such a thing and and so pervasive and so prevalent in the NBA, uh, you could also argue that, you know, there are some issues with the NBA right now that were created by this, right? Mm -hmm. We are in, you know, before the hiatus and all that, this was the season with the lowest ratings in in recent history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's a fair case to be made that the fact that a fan doesn't know, like a, a, a Bucks fan, I, I would imagine if you asked Bucks fans, hey, you could bet money that he stays here his whole career or that he goes away and here you, you'll even get like some fair odds on it. 
they would probably take the money that he would not stay the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, while, while it's really cool to see, especially African-American athletes, you know, come into this power in a league where they should have that amount of power, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I think there's, there's, you can, you can, there's also some reason for concern about the lack of, uh, loyalty or consistency throughout the league are, are, is is rooting for laundry a sustainable business model for the NBA moving forward? Maybe, maybe not. Um, if they can monetize the, the the rumors in a better way than they have to this point, then I would say absolutely this is a net positive. But to this point, you can't really monetize monetize rumor season. The money is in the games, and if heading into those games, even though the the teams that have a chance at winning that year. They don't know how long that window is going to stay open because who knows when that superstar is going to get sick of the owner or the city or just want to play in a bigger one. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think we it's, you know, because of the way LeBron's uh, career has gone since then that we have to, like, try to explain away. Uh, I'm so sorry for ever doubting this. I, I, I think that story is still being told. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's interesting, though, because, like, uh, that was such a big, you know, off season moment, but it did end up making the next season so much more exciting. Like all of Absolutely. those games took on an extra level of importance because there was this huge villain that everybody wanted to root against. Like I, I, I shouldn't remember this, but like, I remember the heat were nine and eight when they played Utah. I and, loved it. it and like, incredible, you know, Spo like in LeBron, like bum shoulders as he walking back to the bench and Millsap has this huge game for Utah. Like, these are not necessary details to have in my head, but I, they were such important games. Like they felt the magnitude of them felt so important because, you know, LeBron had created this spectacle in Miami. And I, I mean, I think, I think it was great that like we were able to gain that level of importance in the regular season that, you know, the NBA kind of struggles with generally speaking. Um, and as much as I like, you know, the idea of player empowerment and, athletes having their own agency in their careers. Like I do wish we were still kind of in an age of longer contracts, you know, where players stayed mm-hmm. in the same place for a certain time. Like it's very silly to watch TNT and Charles Barkley, like messes up every single answer on who he played for, but like, it's a real thing. Like nobody knows yeah. where anybody is now because <laughs> they're moving around so much. And I don't think it all dates back to LeBron James. Obviously the collective bargaining agreement made structural changes that made that possible, but I do think it's fair to say that like he inspired other stars to say, Hey, we can do this too. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this, I think right now we're still in kind of the, we're still in the process of seeing these things kind of even out. I Mm -hmm. think it's possible that, you know, owners will realize that, Hey, uh, all, all superstar leverage is making sure that they're in the best situation possible. Mm-hmm. And it falls on those owners and those organizations to continue to put their superstar in the best situation possible. Like last week, we talked about how uh, the San Antonio Spurs had Tim Duncan, who was taking pay cut after pay cut after pay cut after pay cut, you know, and he's a completely unique superstar in that he was okay with that mm-hmm. and walked away with as many rings as Kobe who demanded a trade, you know, and, and I think, you know, right now we're in this stretch where, what it basically looks at it looks like is is all right these uh, stars get drafted and teams have seven years to maximize their window with that player 
and then that player is going to leave, well, at some point, the league will be, you know, whether it's the CBA getting figured out where there isn't such a giant uh, bump for, for superstar pay mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that really hamstrings any team that signs a supermax contract to a player who probably isn't really worth a supermax. Um, we'll, maybe it'll be, you know, the, the, um, they'll, they'll figure out a way to, uh, have the salary cap not as affected by those superstar contracts so that they can, the player can get fully paid and they can build a team around them. Like we're still figuring those things out and maybe, you know, at the end of the day or, or when it's all said and done, we can look at that moment at, at the decision and we can say, that was the beginning of this process that got us to a really cool spot here. Uh, it's just that like right now, I think we're still seeing some of those growing pains and, and like, <laughs> it was a completely different sports world and you and I were completely different people. I think mm-hmm. this, I was 23 years old when this happened. And uh, there are a lot of things that I said as a 23 year old that I would probably take back, especially in my coverage of the NBA. Uh, and, and and so for, you know, for the way that that went down and, and the fact that at that time there was still a bit of a debate between LeBron and Kobe, mm-hmm. I was going to use every bit of ammunition possible to, to paint LeBron in a negative light and, and, and make Kobe, you know, build Kobe up to, this, to the superstar and legend that I considered him to be. Yeah, I mean, I think about the decision a lot, but like, it really was the rally afterwards that threw me off, you know, um, because yeah, obviously like, I think I was one of the few Laker fans actually that kind of accepted that LeBron was better than Kobe at that point. Um, yeah. even though the Lakers were coming off back to back titles, um, mm-hmm. it still seemed like LeBron was doing a lot more with what little he had to work with in Cleveland. Um, mm-hmm. but that, I mean, that was my main concern was, you know, I don't want LeBron to be in a position where he can contend with Kobe's legacy because at that point, literally the only thing we had in our favor was rings, right? Like that was it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. I think LeBron's a better passer. I think he's a better offensive player. He's definitely a better defender, but Kobe's got five and LeBron doesn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, uh, that's, that's, that's a complete stance that I had at that time. Although I, I would, again, I would probably grant that like, even at that time I considered, I, I could, if I didn't consider LeBron an out and out better player, I mm-hmm. definitely saw where that was heading. Right. You know, uh, there was, you know, it was, the conversation was still going on for like three years be, beyond the point where LeBron had cemented himself as the better player. Uh, but at that time we were like right at that point, right at that inflection point where it shifted, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and like you said, Kobe was coming off of like that two year period where the Lakers won those back-to-back championships. That's my favorite Kobe Bryant ever mm-hmm. where he was so insanely skilled, obviously wasn't the same athlete that he was, you know, during his prime or either of his previous two primes. Um, and, and, you know, was, was obviously a better teammate, uh, had figured out some better ways to facilitate the offense and, and all of those things. And so there was, there was still, you know, some arguments to be made there. There was also that one all-star game where Kobe blocked LeBron and talked a bunch of crap after. <laughs> like, 
It was just, took the All Star game remember, way too seriously. <laughs> it was so per. It made it so perfect though that they yeah. could honor him the way that they did. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and yeah, I mean, like I used all of that ammo, even even while in the back of my head, I was like, this probably isn't going to go on for very long. Like I was still going to go out there and troll LeBron fans, and 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 you know. I, this is a safe space. This isn't being recorded, right? I, <laughs> no, no. We're, we're okay. Yeah. Uh, echo some of Skip Bayless's points about Oof. the clutch gene. <laughs> like every so often, I would I would throw that stuff out there, and and you know some of it was for ruffle feathers, but some of it also was like you know Kobe just seemed to accept that moment in in a different way than LeBron did. Maybe that was made easier by the talent of his teammates around him, mm-hmm. but you know. Uh, nonetheless, or that notwithstanding, I still kind of looked at Kobe and I looked at LeBron. And I was like, I, I still, I still, I still rock with Kobe. Yeah. I think you've hit on something interesting here, which is uh, sort of like how the decision affected the Lakers specifically. So let's take a quick break and then come back and talk about that. So obviously, you know, in the years that have passed, the Kobe LeBron bait. Kobe LeBron debate became a you know big talking point, but I always thought of plenty of bait there too. Like plenty there of bait. So yeah. much- <laughs> I always thought of Dwayne Wade as the real Kobe rival, and mm. that was you know partly because he was put in that same situation that Kobe was, where he got to win with Shaq early in his career, and he was the two guard, right? Which I mean, obviously mm-hmm. positions don't mean a whole lot now, but they seemed to then, and yeah. he just seemed like a more natural foil for what Kobe was, and. One of the things that kind of bummed me out about the decision was that now Dwayne Wade wasn't going to be the best guy on his team. So mm-hmm. it was kind of hard to have that one-on-one rivalry with Kobe at that point. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder how much that has to do with, like, at that point, Kobe was still the better player, I thought. Yeah, I think um, so. And, and you know, I'm sure, like, there's a whole bunch of, VORP and BPM and and whatever other acronyms people want to throw at me that, that <laughs> might say something different. But at that point, I still felt like Kobe was the better player. And uh, I kind of, I, I, I actually kind of agree with you, but I kind of wonder how much that has to do with the fact that Kobe was a better player. Like, mm-hmm. no, actually, Dwayne is his rival here because it looks to be like it could continue to be a rivalry it didn't look like LeBron was going to have a rival for very much longer. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't, LeBron was on a trajectory that, you know, you, you really thought, man, once this guy learns to shoot a three pointer and, and he was already making progress in that regard, it's effing over. Yeah. <laughs> the, there's nothing that anybody's going to be able to do. And, and so I kind of looked at Wade and, and some of the other guys that are, were around, Wade's kind of talent level, Russell Westbrook, um, James Harden to a lesser extent, Darren Williams, etc. cetera. Um, ah, and Darren I, and, Williams. <laughs> what a throw. I looked at, <laughs> yeah, I remember looking at those guys and I was like, okay, yeah, that's the conversation. Maybe, maybe the conversation with LeBron is slipping to a point where that's, we're reaching, we've reached the point of no return there. But if you try to tell me Kobe isn't the second best player in this league, we're going to have problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it just so happened that that Wade was was the closest thing I think to that. And you're completely right. And and one of the bummers there was that you know we we never really did see a like absolute prime Wade with his own like competitive team 
ever again. I think that's why we hold on to that Kobe shot that he hit against Miami, that banking three-pointer to win that game in 2009. Like that's such a memorable moment for me because I loved those Lakers-Miami games. Uh, Every time Dwayne played against Kobe, he, he brought it. I mean, most young guys will say that like they loved playing against Kobe and they brought it at an extra level, but you really felt that with Wade. And those Heat games, even after Shaq left, just felt a little more electric. <laughs> yeah. I think Wade has told a story, right, where he, like, broke Kobe's nose, called him to apologize, and Kobe said, I love it. Yeah, because like, it was during that... an All-Star game. <laughs> <laughs> Again, he takes this stuff so seriously. <laughs> uh, but I, I actually also love, because you, you mentioned that shot, I remember after that game, Wade and Kobe met in that tunnel. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like, one of the all-time, you know, it, it, it was – memed and and people applauded at the time but I actually thought it was kind of lame that Paul Pierce they asked him like did you call bank he's like I called game I was like okay so you didn't call bank (laughs) um and and like the one thing I really enjoyed about that shot from Kobe was that he saw Wade in the hallway and he so sheepishly like walks up to him Wade's like you mother (laughs) (laughs) you can see see that interaction between them and Kobe's like I'm sorry, man. They just it just happened to go in. It just happened. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just I, I I loved everything about their their little rivalry because, like, I, I I really think Wade approached the game the closest to the way that Kobe did, whether it was you know really caring about defense and and the way Wade was able to block so many shots. Like to me, Wade was the best shot blocking shooting guard I've ever seen. Um, and then the way that he sacrificed his body just constantly. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed how Wade owned Miami, you know, and we made a, a game winner. He would jump up on the scorer's table and say, this is my house, you know, right. eventually like during his free agency, they called it Miami Wade, uh, County, not, not, uh, Miami, Miami Dade. Dade County. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, you know, there was so much in common there and, you know, a lot of it was on purpose on the part of Dwayne because that's just how much he, he loved and respected Kobe. And, and that's, that to me is the sign of a true rivalry, right? Where, where you have that amount of mutual respect, there's competition and there are moments where you want to rip that other dude's head off. But there's also like at the end of the day, after it's all said and done, you look at the way that magic and bird talk to each other. You look at the way that Kobe and Wade talk to each other, uh, that, that, that relationship, and rivalry as it, as it went down was, was one of the cooler things in the league. Yeah, I think one of the problems I have with the decision then is that it kind of makes it harder to have individual rivalries because, yeah, like, you know, Dwayne Wade's role becomes lesser on that team. And it's mm-hmm. Miami just became one complete villain. You know, like Miami had their thing with Boston and Miami had their thing with Indiana. But it just never felt like during that time that, like, we talked about Chris Bosch against other power forwards, or we talked about, you know, Dwayne Wade against other two guards. Like that thing with him and Kobe sort of died out during those four years Yeah, uh, because of the super team, right? Like the individual battles kind of went away. And I, I miss that. Like I, I kind of felt that same thing with golden state. Like we had this whole LeBron KD rivalry going on for the first, what, eight years of their careers. And then Durant mm-hmm. goes to golden state and, I, I know they played each other in the finals twice. I still never felt like it was a LeBron Durant thing. It was just a Golden State Cleveland thing. Yeah, I, I mean, 
yeah, they, they, they were technically on the same court, but you look at their teammates and it's like, that's not, that's not a one-on-one, like that's not close to a one-on-one thing. Um, and the other, I, I also kind of want to chuckle a little bit at the fact that we ever considered Chris Bosch a, a villain in any way, shape or form. <laughs> like he's one of like the all-time sweethearts in pro sports history. Like he, he he would hop on this show, honestly. He's just that nice <laughs> of a guy. Like, yeah. He, yeah, he's just like, yeah, well, yeah, so totally. I would I would love to. That's why it was such a bummer when when he exited the league to the way the way that he did. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I, I really think the league kind of misses that personality. Um, but, but yeah, there for a while. Like LeBron accepted being a villain. He even remembered that for a little while he wore the mouth guard that looked like a vampire. Oh, right. You know? I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, like they LeBron and Wade like really tried to accept it and you could just tell like Chris Bosch was that third guy who was wearing an outfit that like you know he probably wouldn't normally wear but he was like <laughs> rocking with his friends you know um and 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 yeah it was that that was also fun but I you know I also think we, we should probably bring up since this is a Lakers podcast the Lakers probably aren't built the way that they are right now without the decision how do you how do you mean that well so if we if we are to agree that the decision was like the beginning of superstar empowerment sure then then like the natural progression of that was lebron forces his way to a major market city right mm-hmm. and then upon arrival builds the team around him that he you know thinks gives him the best shot at winning a championship and and like one of the things we talked about was how, you know, superstars, when they come to the Lakers, they know they're going to be treated well. And, and I think, you know, while the decision was its own thing and while the Lakers always kind of operated in a certain way, I think the way that the Lakers operated historically put them in a great position to take advantage of player empowerment if, if and when it, it came into the form that it eventually did. And, you know, you look at, even somebody like Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, historically speaking, toils in New Orleans for the entirety of his career. And we look at him as like another Charles Barkley, right? Right. Um, usually speaking, that kind of a player, especially at that position and with that kind of brand status or lack thereof, uh, you know, they don't usually wield the, the same amount of power to be able to really force their way to the city of their choosing. And, you know, because LeBron, you know, from, from the decision on, well, from before the decision, because, you know, all of those guys will say that they started playing in this stuff back when they played in the 08 Olympics, I believe. I think it was even earlier than that. I think it was on the 06 uh, yeah. World Championship team. The, the FIBA team. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, the, you know, all these guys said that they started plotting it and it finally came to fruition and they saw the results of that and they said, well, why can't we do that all the time? And <laughs> Uh, and I think, you know, eventually, because of the position that the Lakers had put themselves in, you know, by way of treating Magic Johnson the way that they treated him as a superstar, treating Kobe the way that they treated him as a superstar, Kareem, you go on down the list. There are very few superstars who can look at the Lakers and say, I didn't, they didn't put me in every opportunity possible to maximize my career, both on and off the court. So if, if, the, if the league is entering an era where that is something that is going to be hugely important in allowing players to, uh, or, or, or something that players are really going to value in making their eventual decisions, 
then I, I really feel like this, that decision and, and, and everything from it, um, this is one of the kind of natural steps along the way. I don't think this is the end game. It's going to be really interesting to see what Anthony Davis does uh, as a Laker after LeBron retires or, or, or leaves or whatever, mm-hmm. whether or not LeBron even retires a Laker. I think just in general, this was one of the natural kind of steps along the way. And, and while we, we never wanted to acknowledge it at that time, that was probably a, a, a big step in the right direction that the league could have taken to eventually benefit the Lakers. Yeah, see, when I was thinking about how the Lakers were affected by the decision, I was thinking more immediate, where, like, we, we love the 2010 finals, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very important moment in our franchise's history. But I do think by LeBron joining Miami, they created another level of team. Like, that Miami team was mm-hmm. better than any one that we had to play in the playoffs from 2008 to 2010. And they just, I think, set the league on a different standard than it had been operating for the previous five or so years. And so you see, you know, teams trying to play catch up, like the Lakers trading for Chris Paul and then eventually trading for Steve Nash and (laughs) Dwight Howard, right? Like, I don't think those are the moves they make if there aren't super teams, you know, teams of that caliber that exist on the other side of the bracket. Like, I really think that Miami forced, and then the way they started playing, you know, with Chris Bosh stretching out um, and moving Shane Battier to the four, like they were sort of the progenitors of small ball in a way that actually won, right? Like everyone gives Mike D'Antoni and the Suns teams credits, but like no one wanted to do that if they weren't sure that you could get a title out of it, right? But once Miami proved that it was a winning concept, it was like, okay, well, you sort of see the rest of the league start to catch up. Exactly. And like the way the Lakers were built was not equipped to handle that Miami team, like those title winning teams with Gasol and Bynum in the front court. But they tried to move in a direction where they could potentially match up with a Miami or a team of that ilk obviously didn't end up working out for a variety of reasons, but I think uh, just the type of team that LeBron ended up creating in Miami is also so important in like the arc of this decade in the NBA. It, it's funny. The league, the league I think is always in kind of a constant battle uh, between, you know, it, battle for its own identity even hmm. Um, between, you know, do we, do we want to accept that we are just a league that has been dominated by super teams? Do we want to make like the scrappy San Antonio Spurs teams feel like, you know, that is the direction that we want to go in? Um, I think, I think the natural kind of, uh, the, the way that the league is, is, is most accustomed to operating is with super teams. and you know, as much as we hated that, that decision at that time, it really opened up. So the bummer, the bummer from the Golden State Warriors, Kevin Durant run is that they were never going to be close to be caught. Yeah. Right? Like there was, there was, that team was so good that no matter what moves were made, uh, if that team was healthy, there was no team that was going to be able to compete. That's why, like that was such a bastardization of the of the super team that I think it was bad for the league. Mm-hmm. But the that Heat team was still pretty flawed. Like they were super, they, they were incredible at the top, mm-hmm. you know, with with Wade and LeBron and Bosch, and and as they figured out uh, the the positionless basketball, um, and that opened up 
you know, by having Bosch as this like stretch five who could step out and hit threes that opened up uh, driving and cutting lanes for LeBron and Wade. Right. And, and we saw the evolution of basketball there, but they were still semi flawed in that, like, you know, the Mavericks were able to beat them. The Spurs were, were able to beat them and they were a super team in, in, in terms of superstardom, mm-hmm. but they weren't so far out in front of everybody that it made those championship years feel inevitable. Right. And, and, and like, I think that's where that heat team was really, really good for the league. Uh, and, and it really pushed the league forward in terms of, cause like you said, the evolution doesn't happen if, you know, nobody copycats a loser. Right. So, yeah. so they, if, when, when the, the heat went out and won and then defended that they won, that they, that they defended, uh, teams said, okay, that's, that's interesting. We can, we can maybe try to do that. Um, and, and because the, the, the heat won that allowed that evolution to take place, but because they lost that evolution felt necessary, felt, felt like it was operating to an end game. Yeah. I, I kind of like the way that's phrased. I mean, I'm just thinking about like how quickly certain players were phased out of the league, you know, after that Miami run, like Roy Hibbert, Roy Hibbert. <laughs> he's the, <laughs> the poster child for this, right? <laughs> Man, I remember the day when the Lakers got Roy Hibbert and thinking, ah, that's a pretty good starting center. <laughs> I was very wrong. Very, very wrong. <laughs> I, remember, I remember thinking to myself, all he has to do is box out and somebody else can go in there and get rebounds and the Lakers might still be able to have a transition. Game. Like That is among the most asinine things I oh have gosh. ever said. And I have said some asinine <laughs> things. <laughs> Ah, uh, the Roy Hibbert experience. He had some great reaction shots on the bench. Uh, he, I, I remember this like one image of like him doing a shimmy like next to Larry Nance. It was a, it was a moment. <laughs> great, great cameo in Community though. Wait, was that Parks and Rec or? Oh no, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah. right. Parks and Rec. Parks he and was Rec, very yeah. good on Parks and Rec. Yeah, really should have pursued that acting thing a little bit more. (laughs) It was better than being a center after the the big three heat existed. Definitely better than that. Oh Oh, man, those mid 2010s Lakers teams, like there's finally enough distance where I'm okay looking back at them like, God, they were terrible. Just (laughs) objectively terrible. (laughs) And like, not even fun. Not even fun. they, they weren't even like a, a fun bad. I, oh I you know, I, I owe them a little bit, you know, of, of respect because I don't have a career without mm-hmm. them being so bad that, you know, people would finally realize that tanking was actually an, uh, an important thing for them to do. And, mm-hmm. and that gave way to, to whatever lockdown Lakers is now. But, but at the same time, it's like, God, guys, could you like, could you be even like kind of likable? <laughs> can can I, can I like, can you make yourselves make me interested in, in caring about you other than like, all right, this person has an expiring contract. This person might be able to, to get the Lakers a first rounder at the, at the deadline. This person uh, might be bad enough that the Lakers can play him, but still technically looks like they're trying, but still lose enough. And, I and wrote still be able to, an impassioned yeah. defense of why the Lakers should keep Jabari Brown one offseason. <laughs> I couldn't pick Jabari Brown out of a lineup now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking now. 
I Jabari Brown, if I remember correctly, his like PlayStation controller only had a shoot button. Like it wasn't even that the that the buttons like were broken or stuck or anything <laughs> like that. It was just that like, that like his if you looked at his PlayStation controller, it was just circle. Just I, I think that's what you <laughs> I think that's what you used to shoot now. It was just the shot stick. That was it. Yeah, well, I, I think we've deviated enough from the decision by this point that it's probably time to call it. Uh, <laughs> but that was such a such a strange day. Um, I loved the ESPYs spoof of the decision the next week um, with like Paul Rudd and Steve Carell. I think Paul Rudd is Jim Gray and Steve Carell is LeBron James. <laughs> it's just, just a wonderful little television. Um, I mean, yeah. everything, anything that those guys are going to be yeah. in together is going to be incredible. But Change the NBA. Yeah, I, yeah. I I do think like when you really look back at LeBron's career, it's pretty insane that somebody who so many people were looking for a reason to dislike, mm-hmm. so many reasons, so many people were looking for ways to to kind of tear him down. Mm-hmm. The one, like the only misstep he has ever made publicly in his career has been the shirt that he wore during the decision. <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> to think that like you know, eight years later, he joins the Lakers, you know, arguably one of the most hated teams in any sport. And now he's Teflon. Like he is, yeah. he is so lovable. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it says a lot for kind of how far out ahead of the league that LeBron was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, it, it's a testament to how far ahead of his contemporaries he was in terms of understanding the value of you know, very carefully tailoring his image mm-hmm. and, and, and making sure that that's something that, you know, he really focused on from, from that point forward. And, and then it also is, is a testament to, you know, kind of how much progress has been made and how we talk about these guys. Like for, for a while there, before the decision, it, you know, we considered it the wrong decision for him to go to my, a, a, a even if it isn't LeBron specifically, we considered it the wrong decision or a stupid call to make to in your mid twenties as a super rich, hyper popular athlete to go to Miami from Cleveland. Like it really says something that that's, that's what we considered, you know, the wrong thing to do at the time. We, at this point now, like if, if any player was to leave the Cleveland Cavaliers, and go to Miami, we would say, you know what? You look at those two cities, you look at the two organizations, do your thing, man. And yeah. I, and, and I, I think it's really, I think it's, uh, I'm interested, you know, I, I, there are some instances where I think some of the player coddling in the media goes a little too far. Mm-hmm. Like all the, all the concern over uh, hotel food last <laughs> night. I think, I think that was kind of insane. <laughs> Um, but, but for the most part, the, the growth that we've seen in media and, and considering these guys human beings uh, has, has been a really cool thing to, to watch and, and obviously from where you and I are sitting, uh, take part in. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty cool that we get to thank a Los Angeles Laker for that. What a dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going exactly. to claim him for all of his career. Absolutely. <laughs> He's our guy. Yeah. Him and Anthony Davis. For him and Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, I feel like we'll have a stronger claim to. I think I think he's gonna be around for a little while. 
but oh well, all right knock on wood knock on wood, knock on wood. I'm, yeah foraging anything and yeah started this yeah. podcast talking about dwight howard can't can't send those bad <laughs> vibes into the world right <laughs> all right well this has been i love basketball on the silver screen roll podcast network make sure you're subscribed to our show on itunes spotify stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll be back next week take care yeah, 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 yeah,